Hello to everybody that's tossing bows in the pit. It's Beautiful Anonymous. One hour, one phone call. No names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you and you'll get to know me. Hi everybody, Chris Gethard here. Welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. Have to say, I felt very grateful for our community after last week's episode, uh, Black Women in America. It really, I think, will serve as a document many years from now to capture the exasperation, the anger, the mobilization that's happening right now. And I was a little nervous after we recorded it because I boiled over a bunch of times in a way I don't usually. And everybody out there was supportive because I think everybody, no matter how you're feeling, you have to you have to follow your passion right now into something active. We talked about it in the episode. And our whole community really rallied, especially around Black Lives Matter. And so happy that we put it out into the world. I'm so happy you all embraced it. And I just hope that it leads to all of us standing up and trying to do what's right, trying to change the world a little bit because it feels like we might actually have a chance right now. Talked about it all last week, but it's worth underlining. This week's episode is not that at all. I like going back and forth. I like having serious ones and then I like having ones that are less serious. This caller clearly is someone after my heart. I feel like he and I would be great friends if we knew each other. He is a professional wrestler. Right there, we talk about professional wrestling a whole lot. We talk about punk rock a lot, another thing I love. But most importantly, we talk about something, maybe the, maybe the, the greatest thing of all to talk about, true love. Wrestling, punk rock, and true love. That's the Gethard trifecta right there. I think this is going to give you a lot of insight into wrestling and punk rock if you don't know about them. But most of all, this is a truly romantic, uh, truly romantic human being in the best sense of the word. And I really hope you enjoy this call as much as I did. I also want to mention this episode was recorded before all the events surrounding the death of George Floyd and the subsequent protests. And I think if you were listening today and we didn't mention that, you'd go, what? how could they, how can they not? That is why it was recorded a while ago. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? Hello? Hey. Hello? Yeah, what's up? Hey. Not a whole lot. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing all right, man. I'm tired. I'm really, I mean, I can't complain. My life is good. Everybody's healthy. But uh, unfortunately, my wife, she tweaked her back a little bit. And that's that sucks in its own way. also means I'm chasing this kid around nonstop. Oh, that's okay, though. What a good problem oh, to have, I mean, that I have a, a son to chase around. Yeah. He's a sweet boy, you know? Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, I was going to say, did, did you guys have a good first Mother's Day? It was actually our second Mother's Day. He was born right before Mother's Day. 
Um, but so it was like, the, Oh really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Okay. The, the first one was sad though, because he, we took him to the, uh, urgent care. That was my wife's first mother's day. He had something weird going on, but then, you know, turns out babies are just weirdos. So, but we didn't know that back then. So the second one was a lot better. We didn't have to take a tiny little baby to a hospital. So that's good. That's good. No, that's definitely a plus. How are you? Uh, all right. uh, I'm alive. I'm alive. I gotta be grateful for that. I'm alive. <laughs> uh, I'm okay, man. Um, you know, you're talking about like, you know, counting your blessings. I, I, I'm definitely in that trying to keep that in my mindset. Um, I, uh, with everything that's going on, you know, I, my living situation is, is stable. Like I don't owe anybody money. Um, my work has been really, uh, as gracious, I think, as you can be with this whole situation. You know, I work for a retailer and they've thankfully have paid me throughout this whole ordeal. Um, and not even like a marginal pay. Like I've been getting my full pay. Wow. That's cool. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky, man. Like I'm really lucky. I guess it's just hard. Cause like when you've got, I was talking to my, um, my roommate about this, you know, it's like, I, I went through a really bad breakup right before all this happened. And, um, she's like, you know, when you've got nothing but time to think about it, it just, it feels like the heaviest thing in the world. Yeah. And so that's just been weighing on my, yeah. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, it's a bummer. It, it, um, yeah, no, it sucks. It's, it's, it's definitely, um, you know, the thing is like, I, I, um, I hadn't dated anybody for like three years, like, like actually dated anybody. Like I'd gone on dates and, and, um, you know, fooled around with people, but there was nobody I was serious about. And then this person came along and they were just, I don't know, man, you ever get that feeling when you just, you're just in a room with somebody and they just immediately pull all of your attention and they make you feel like you're 14 years old again. I do. I do know that feeling. Yeah. It was just, it just was rough, man. Cause it, it I, I met her like over a year ago and you know, I, I've never been one to like rush into things. Like I, I you know, I wanted to get to know her and, and see if there was any interest on her end and stuff like that. And then in the midst of that, she started dating someone else, which happens, you know, she's a very attractive woman. And um, so, but I didn't take that as like a blow. I was just like, okay, you know, she's going to be my friend now. And I had made peace with the idea of being friends and we were just friends and we would text here and there and we would see each other, you know, when we were like at shows and stuff. And, uh, and then I find out that she's single again. She broke up with her boyfriend. And, you know, again, I wasn't like immediately like in the DMs, like, all right, that was my shot. I just was just, just kept talking to her as I would talk to her anytime. And, and then eventually around the end of January, I kind of shot my shot. And I was just like, Hey, um, I don't know if you want to like hang out sometime, but I would, if you're into that, I would really love to hang out. And she sent me like a really cute message. She's like, that is something I would be into. And uh, yeah, it was just, um, it was like a surreal experience because I, we went out 
for like the, over the course of a month, we went on like six dates. Like I was hanging out with her all the time. And every time I hung out with her, it was like four or five hours of just like endless conversation and telling each other about our lives and finding all these little connecting points of like how we had such similar experiences growing up in like religious households and, and, and kind of finding our pathways into, you know, not that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we spent Valentine's day together and that was crazy. Cause I hadn't had like a real Valentine in a long time. And um, yeah, I don't know, man, it was, it's, I'm getting actually a little emotional just thinking about it just because like every time I've been in a relationship or every time I've attempted a relationship, you know, you just, I get tired of people or I get frustrated or they say something that like, Ooh, that was, that was a red flag or Ooh, that made me feel weird. Or, and you just, and it just, it's never comfortable. And she was someone that I was like instantly comfortable with, like all of my anxiety, all of my stress just gone. And I was just peaceful for once and and then I guess we got into like a weird conversation one time like towards the end of February and she was just like I guess I said something that like triggered like a previous relationship she had had and she got freaked out and we talked about it afterwards and she was just like yeah I'm just not ready to date right now like you're really cool and I like you a lot but like I just this isn't going to work for me right now and I was like, okay, I get it. And I, I didn't give her any guff about it. it. You know, that's obviously her prerogative. But then literally that happens. And then it's like, oh, hey, by the way, the world's ending. And like, you can't go do any of the things that you can't go to the gym or you can't go to shows. You can't do any of the things that you would do to get your mind off of this. You just got to sit here and play, you know, Mario and, and, and like try not to spend too much on Uber Eats. Man. That's a uh, that's a rough one. So it burned bright. January and February, it burned bright, and then it flamed out fast. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. I know that feel. You had said that feeling yeah. when you feel 14 again. I'll tell you, my wife has a band called The Unlovables, and she has a song called 1996. Because when we started dating, I said to her, you make me feel like 1996. And she wrote that song. So I know what you mean. I feel bad bringing it up because she's my wife now, so it went the opposite direction. But I, <laughs> but I know. No, I mean, it went. <laughs> yeah. I know about the passion of which you speak, and I'm sorry that it left your life. Is the point? Well, you know, she's not. She's not gone. Nah, you know? of course. Like she didn't delete me off anything. She didn't block me on anything. Actually, we were in a fair amount of correspondence after the fact like you know she um um without giving up too much information because i know i gotta remain anonymous like i am a professional wrestler what and uh so oh you didn't know that no how would i know that <laughs> earlier in the call you said you were in retail yeah i gotta pay the bills i'm not a big shot professional wrestler i don't work for wwe or anything <laughs> so you're an I'm one of these little indie schmucks you're an indie guy. I love that. Yeah. I actually got super bummed out because, uh, so I, uh, the year that I finally got booked on Fest Wrestling, which was the big, like their big show. Like I'd worked for that promotion because they run year round, but 
I had never been on their big We Are Family show that runs through Actual Fest. That was going to be the first time I got booked for that. You you guys were supposed to be doing your live show, and I was super stoked. I was like, fuck yeah, I'm going to see Chris Gethard live, and da-da-da. And uh, that was the year the show got canceled on True, <laughs> and you guys were like, nah, we can't do this. And I was just like, motherfucker. <laughs> I should explain. Fest is this, uh, every Halloween weekend in Gainesville, Florida, there's this massive punk fest called Fest, and they have a comedy stage which uh, I've been really embraced on that stage because of my connections to the music world. And they also have a wrestling uh, league that you mentioned. So it's this amazing weekend of punk rock shows, comedy, wrestling. And yeah, there was one year where they had me do a little announcing on the wrestling show. And my friend uh, Riley dressed up as Vacation Jason and entered a battle royal, which was kind of awesome. It was kind of awesome. That's rad that you do that. Those guys in that league were good. It was no joke. You must be pretty yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, it's, dude, I mean, I'm, I'm respectable. I can hold my own. Um, yeah, no, Fest Wrestling is one of my favorite things on the planet. And that, that festival specifically was, so that year that you unfortunately couldn't attend, it still ended up being like one of the best weekends of my life. Because it was just, it's everything that I, aside from like comic books, like it was everything I care about in one space. Like, me it was too. Just, it's punk rock. It's hard. Like comeback, comeback kid played that weekend, and like I grew up with comeback kid, and like uh, I got to wrestle in front of like eight hundred to a thousand people in this small cowboy bar, and like I'm just and I'm just all day just walking around eating pizza, seeing comedy shows, hanging out with all these. And that was the thing too is what's really cool about fest is you think because everybody's drinking or some, some, you know, some drugs going around like that people are going to be assholes. No dude, chillest fucking environment I've ever been in. Everyone is super cool, super patient. Nobody's a dickhead. And anybody who is even approaching dickheadness gets like immediately ostracized and thrown out. Like, no, we're not having that here. I gotta say for any of our listeners who, uh, who aren't punk rockers themselves, a lot of times people grow up and they think, oh, punks, those are like bad people with safety pins in their face, and spiky hair who spit on the ground and hate authority. And I think most of us who identify as punk do actually hate authority. Otherwise, though, a lot of very nice, smart, creative people. And I tell you, like, I've done, I've done enough music festivals as a comedian where some of the ones that are the most hippie-ish are actually the ones where you kind of see the most... Uh, messed up stuff i think the punk kids are actually sweet people yeah no i agree like every i mean you know there's no person who's without their faults or without their flaws but i don't know man just every like every grown-up punk i've ever met is like you know they they got to adulthood as a punk because they actually believed in some of those ideals of like be a good person be a good samaritan believe in community and things like that Anybody who's like an asshole punk when they're 19, they just grow up and become something else. They yeah. become a Derek or, a, or a, you know, they get a corporate job or they, or they go, they become a salt life surfer or some shit. Like they, they, that was never who they really were. That was just what they wanted to be at the time. Right. And, and especially back years ago, I think, uh, I, I think it's taken this nice turn. I remember turning around at some point, like four or five years ago, when the Brooklyn DIY scene was like still in full swing. 
And every single show venue, and I think this is really true now, is like, hey, this is a safe space. Everyone's welcome here. And I don't know how old you are, but when I was a kid going to punk shows, that was not true. Punk shows could actually be really violent and really scary. And in fact, there were these undercurrents of it where sometimes you'd show up at a show and be like, oh, no, there's a crew of like skinheads here and they might be Nazis. And it's a thing that you had to deal with. And it, there was homophobia and sexism and... It's really turned around and I think blossomed into the, you know, a much more beautiful version of itself because I get the sense that that stuff is not tolerated at all now. And punk has really built in a way where so many of its best elements have grown and thrived. And so many of its worst, darkest elements have been pushed out beyond the fringe where they belong. It's pretty cool. I definitely agree. I mean, uh, I can only speak to my specific scene. I came up in the, the Central Florida scene. And uh, I was much more of like a hardcore kid. So we're talking like hard side and mad ball and like those kids um, scared me, man. Like I was the hardcore kid. I was such a pop <laughs> well, kid. I thought you loved H2O. H2O I grew up with. I love Minor Threat. Um, I think a lot of the other New York hardcore stuff does like that Gorilla Biscuits Youth of Today stuff. I respect what it was, but I do not think it aged well. But I've actually started getting really back into the oh. like uh, Southern California, like, you know, like the Black Flag, even Descendants, which kind of, I think, like crossed the line back into pop punk. A lot of that stuff is really working mm -hmm. for me these days. Anyway, you were saying. Well, I was just going to say, like, I mean, I listened to all kinds of stuff, but I specifically came up in that, like, uh, hardcore metalcore deathcore scene. So, like, mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. totally know what you're talking about with, like, crew things. Like, so I'm I'm of the age where, um, uh, so, like, we're talking, like, early 2000 aughts. Uh, I was, like, going to shows a lot, and just that was, like, my whole life. Like, I, I graduated high school. I flunked out of college almost immediately and was just like, I'm just going to go to shows and be in bands and this is my life now. And, um, I, there was like a, a war like mentality at a lot of these shows yeah. where you would come in and it was, everybody had facts and everybody had, and it was never, to be fair, it was never, um, a racist thing. Like we never dealt with skinheads or Nazis. It was never, um, uh, or even like a homophobic thing. There was definitely like a lot of sexism that was still very rampant in the scene, but it was just very much just this weird, nihilistic, brutal savagery of just like, we're going to come to these shows. We don't care who you are. We don't care what you're doing. We're going to beat the fuck out of you because that's what we like to do. And like, it was, it was tough to go to some shows. You would like specifically not go to shows because you knew that band was going to draw a specific gang or a specific crew and you were just like, I can't, I can't deal with that tonight. I just wanted to hang out and you would you do something else. But what's funny though, I grew up in that and I dealt with that and I was never one of those people, but because I grew up in it, I learned how to like take care of myself and like how to like, how to have fun in those environments. And so I've gone to bands of that genre recently or bands similar to that recently with this new generation of kids. Cause like I'm pushing 30 and you know, not that I was planning to like go and like, I'm going to go be in the pit and hardcore dance and da da da. But there'll be like a particularly spicy riff or a particularly spicy part of a band that I really am listening to a lot at the time. And I'm like, you know what? One time, I'm just going to go out there one time. And like a uh, perfect example was uh, 
I went to go see Kubla Khan, who I really enjoy from Texas. And they have this real spicy beat down in one of their new album, uh, talking about like fighting God and shit like that. And I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. And I get in the pit and I start doing my thing. And I realized now I'm used to when I was coming up, when you would swing, it was fight for your life. Like I wasn't trying to hit anybody, but it's like, Hey man, I'm creating my space. If you want to fight me for my space, then we're going to fight for the space. And I start doing my thing. I start throwing down. And I quickly realized that as soon as I entered the pit, everyone walked away. Like it was like, it was like this, like everyone became overly gracious and was suddenly like, Oh man, let you, let's do your thing. And I suddenly realized that I was, I was the only person in the pit and I felt like an asshole, like, Oh, okay. Nobody here is trying to play with me right now. I felt like, you know, I felt like the, the last kid picked in dodgeball or something. I'm just like, Oh, nobody likes me. Okay. I'm going to go over here now. So you're effectively at a, at a hardcore show and the dance floor becomes almost like when you're at a bat mitzvah and everybody's in a circle and goes out one at a time, cheers each other on. Yeah. We're going to pause it there. Cause that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever said. Anybody here who has a punk rock background, the fact that I just said that the pit turns into a bat mitzvah is... Even I don't know what I'm talking about sometimes. Okay, we'll be right back. All right, thanks, everybody. I hope you enjoyed your break. Now let's get back to the phone call. So you're effectively at a, at a hardcore show and the dance floor becomes almost like when you're at a bat mitzvah and everybody is in a circle and goes out one at a time cheers each other on yeah i love that you and i are like punk is uh so sweet now and smart and educated like forward-thinking kids who question authority but are creative and then both of us have stories about like that being said i used to think i was gonna get killed by the bergen county youth crew at shows in jersey and you're like oh yeah and uh i was trying to fight people at kubla khan and was shocked they didn't want to i don't know that we represented our original thesis statement so well well, it wasn't even so much uh, that I, I'm not mad about it. It was just, it's more of like a reflection of myself of like, oh, okay, now I'm anachronistic and I need to update my software of how this works. Yeah. Because I went into the show expecting to have a fight. And not that I wanted to have a fight, but like, this is how I have fun at these shows is by like engaging. I mean, it's one of the reasons I, I love being a pro wrestler is, I hate hurting people. I really do. I hate conflict. I hate fighting with people, but I love the thrill of like aggression. And I love the thrill of, of like having a combative situation with someone, but I don't want to hurt anybody. And I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and I don't want to create bad memories. So it's like, Hey, can we enter a situation where we both consensually agreed to the fact that we're going to choreograph this fight with each other? And if we actually get hurt, you know, I mean, shit happens and we'll have fun about it and laugh about it afterwards. Very similar to punk shows in the 90s where it's like we're going to slam into each other. But if you get knocked down, I'll be the first one to grab you up before somebody steps on your head. Like that was kind of the contract of... Hey, we might get hurt, but we're both going to, we're both, we might hurt each other, but we're going to try to make sure it doesn't go too far. I got a story you'll like. Yeah, exactly. Go for it. So when Hallie and I first got together, we went in, uh, we went to this venue called the Warsaw in Brooklyn and we went and saw Fucked Up 
who are the uh, the Canadian. Uh, I, I, most people, I think, consider them hardcore, but the real, a really sort of like elevated, musically smart version of hardcore. And uh, people flip out at the shows. And there are these two guys who, like you said, clearly old school guys who were there to kind of do the old school thing. But I think maybe not as considerate as you, where when everybody else in the room was kind of like, "Hey, this is not this is not the way it's going anymore," they didn't necessarily slow down slamming into some people who clearly didn't want to get slammed into, even though they were being given space. And like I said, at the top of the call, my wife has, you know, historically had some problems with her back. And at that time they were flaring up we had just started dating. And I stood in front of my wife because I knew these two, these two guys are acting like maniacs. And if they slam into her could cause some real permanent damage and they finally came our way and they slammed into me once. And I did the traditional, you're at a show, kind of like shove them off in a, you know, an aggressive way, but you're just kind of communicating, hey, bring it in a different direction, buddy. And then they came at me again. One of them hit me. And dude, I don't know where this came from. I grabbed the guy's shirt with both hands and he was much bigger than me. I'm a, I'm a drip, man. And I tossed this guy and he went down and first he hit the other guy he hit the other troublemaker they both went down and kind of slid across the floor and then all these people kind of turned and looked at me like i was this badass to be feared and i'm gonna tell you what i've never felt cooler in my life i i believe it you had that you had that rush of like those stories when moms lift cars off their babies and yes, shit like that. Yes, yes. Like someone came for some, someone came for someone you care about, someone and you were just like, Not today, motherfucker. Not on my watch, you son of a bitch. Now you eat floor. <laughs> now I'm gonna ask you a tough question, but I'm gonna go there. Okay. Let's say for some unfathomable reason, you were in a situation where you could either get back together with this girl who lit such a spark in you or wrestle on wrestle on WrestleMania, but you can't do both. What do you do? Oh, easy. Get back. Get back with the girl. Wow. Quick answer. Wow. Yeah. Cause we should explain wrestling on WrestleMania is like, it's like playing in the Super Bowl. It's Oh yeah. Well, here's the thing. There's a couple of factors in that. One, um when I became a wrestler, don't get me wrong, I grew up a huge wrestling fan. I grew up a huge mark. Uh all I've ever dreamed about was wrestling at WrestleMania. Um I want to win like if in the ultimate dream scenario, it's like if I could just win the Intercontinental Championship at WrestleMania, I would be the fucking I that's that's my ultimate fuck moment like yes please um but you know that's one moment that's one moment in time and I know we say one moment uh can make a lifetime but it's like that's just one moment this person gave me a feeling that I wanted to have with me every day and this person you know like when I became a wrestler like I didn't do it thinking I was going to be an all-star. I think I was going to be the next, you know, uh, John Cena, the next uh, Undertaker or something like that. Like, that's cool if I could, but 
honestly, when I became a wrestler, I told myself, have a match. That's all I wanted to do because I, the, okay. So the backup, like one of the reasons I became a wrestler was, you know, because I did the thing I think everybody does as a wrestling fan for the most part, which is, you know, I watched a lot as a kid, big, big part of my life. Got to about 15 and was like, you know, I would like to kiss a girl sometime. So I'm going to stop watching this um, mm-hmm. and kind of go do, I'm going to go do art and and I'm going to be go listen to music and, you know, go to work tour and try to be cool and, uh, you know, and find yourself. And uh, so I did the band, the band DIY band dude thing for a long time. Uh and I don't want to go into this story because it's really long and it's really fucked up. But basically, uh, I got caught up in this really fucked up manipulative relationship that I almost I like lived in Portugal for like a month and I almost moved there to be with this girl. And it was a really bad situation. Um, gave me a lot of fucked up feelings that I that definitely affected my next relationship. <laughs> Uh, but basically I went through, I, I went back home and so I'm about 20, 22 at this point. And I go through a really bad depression and all I did, cause this girl that I tried to go to Portugal for, like she swindled me basically out of $3,000. I quit my job. I hadn't gone back. I hadn't been in school for years. I had nothing when I came back home, nothing, absolutely nothing. And I was heartbroken. Um, and so all I did for like a month straight was watch wrestling. I laid in bed and I watched wrestling and like I re-educated myself about what had been happening while I hadn't been watching in this like six or seven years. And I learned about everything John Cena did and everything that CM Punk was doing. And, and I, the fire lit up in me and the fire of like, this is something that I used to be really passionate about. And I just stopped. And I realized that, at the end of that month, you know, I pulled myself out of that depression and I was just like, you know, I don't care what I do in life, but what's important is that no matter who hurts me, they can't take my dreams from me. And so I'm going to just do everything that I've ever actually really wanted to do. So I said, fuck it. And I went and I found a school and I got trained and I told myself, you know, I just want to be able to say I did it. I just want to be able to say that when I sit down, if I, you know, get a normal nine to five job and I have kids and I'm watching wrestling with them, I can explain to them what these people are doing. And I can explain to them from a point of experience of like why this craft is important and why this craft is so unique and what's special about it. And just to have that connection with it. Like that's all I cared about was that I cared enough about it to actually learn how to do it. So I went, I learned, I did it. And then everything I've done since then has just been crazy, man. Like, yeah, I would love to go to wrestle for WWE. I would love to be an AEW. I would love to wrestle for Ring of Honor. Like, I would love to be a champion. I would love to make make this my living. I would love to make money off of pro wrestling. But honestly, dude, like, I already achieved my goal. And everything I've done since then has been just such a blessing. Like, I've gotten to wrestle in like 15 states. I've gotten to share the ring with some really cool people. I've had some really amazing matches. I didn't think I was physically capable of, but like I've learned how truly athletic I am if I push myself. And it's just been a wonderful expression of my creativity and my, and who I really am as a person. So like, 
if wrestling never comes back, like if this virus is so fucked up that like live entertainment is just never going to be a thing again, I can make peace with never having achieved those lofty things because that was never the goal. I hit my goals, but I, my goal in life is now to find people that I want to share my life with and find people that give me peace. I told this girl on our first date afterwards that um, if you're someone who spends time with me in person, you'll notice I have a little twitch, which is I slap my index finger and my middle finger like next to each other, like a little tapping motion. It's just this weird twitch I have. I've done it since I was like eight years old. And I do it whenever I'm excited about something or when I'm nervous about something or I just have excess energy. And it's just this little twitch. And everyone I know points it out at some point, ask about it. And I explain it to them. I noticed in like the five hours I spent with her on our first date, I never did it. I was never anxious around her. I finally felt peaceful. And I can't put a price on that, man. This man cannot pay me enough money or give me enough TV time to give me that. That's, that's temporary. Like that shit, that shit's eternal. That shit, that shit is meaningful to me. And I will always choose that over a photo op or a fucking paycheck. That's one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. Now, I'm not sitting here telling, I don't know you. I don't, and you've been in some weird relationships before, but I'll tell you, that rant you just went on, that started with wrestling, everybody listening to this, even people who roll their eyes at wrestling, by the end of that just went, this guy's got to, he's got to get another chance with this girl. And I'm not telling you go stalk the girl. And I'm not telling you, don't no, take no, no for an answer. This is not like one of those movies. Remember in the 80s, there are all these movies about the guys who just kept chasing the girl and chasing the girl. And that was like a thing. And now you, oh, listen, yeah. you watch them in 2020 and you're like, every 80s rom-com was, about, uh, was just glorifying a stalker. It was just glorifying a guy who wouldn't oh. stop harassing a girl into being with him. I'm not saying do that. Dude, it's so hard to watch anything like before like 2006 because it's like the toxicity of romantic relationships and media was off the charts. Yeah, I mean, if you think about just the ending of Revenge of the Nerds, it's truly horrifying by modern standards. Oh, oh where where he, he like sexually assaults that girl? <laughs> Where he dresses up one of the nerds in the moment of like the nerd finally got ya. The nerd dresses up in the same yeah. Halloween costume as a jock and seduces the jock's girlfriend because yeah. the girlfriend thinks he's the jock. And that was a thing in the eighties. We're all like, yeah, the nerd finally won. You're like, no, the no, the nerd didn't no, win. The jock didn't. Someone. Yeah, the nerd didn't win. The jock didn't lose. That woman got put through something horrifying, and that was a comedy. It was a comedy. So I'm not saying yep. go into rom-com mode. Yeah. But I do hope that if, if you, if that communication opens back up with this young lady, that she comes to understand that you'd walk away from WrestleMania. That's uh, and you said it with no hesitation and no doubt. And then you had a whole philosophy about what matters in life and how she removed your anxiousness in one night. That's very powerful stuff, and and maybe someday she'll be ready to have that relationship that she wasn't ready to have now. And I I, I just hope that that door is still open because that was really beautiful what you just said. 
Thank you, man. I mean, yeah, like, I try not to... The weird thing is, you know, people... I, I've Obviously, I've been talking to friends about it, people that know her, and... Uh, you know, I hate... You know what I hate? You know what piece of a, like, comfort that, like, we try to tell each other that I hate? Like, that little quip where it's like, uh, you know, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. And I hate that. I hate that line. Um, because I definitely am someone who I'm more comforted as much as in situations like this where it hurts more because it feels like I'm not in control of anything and it was my fault that something bad happened or whatever. Like, uh, I'm more comforted by the idea that we live in chaos because when there is no, when nothing is guaranteed, it means that anything is possible. You know, there is no, there is no chosen one. There is no predetermined hero. There is no predetermined slots. You don't have like a soulmate. It's just that you go through life and literally because so many, and it's just like you, because there's no destiny, because there's no path for anyone. It's just, you can make a path for yourself and you can decide what you're going to do and who you're going to be. And yeah, there's outside factors that affect how your path is going to go because there's just things beyond your control, but they're not controlling you because you're off the path that you're supposed to be on. It's just, nobody gives a fuck about your path and you just got to fight to get as close to it as you can. I feel like you're cutting a wrestling promo on me right now to get me all amped up. I feel like I just watched Dusty Rhodes' Hard Times for the first time all over again. I feel like I'm watching Rowdy Roddy Piper out here, but he's a he's a heel. I feel like I'm out. I, I feel like I'm out oh. here watching a promo with Daniel Bryan cutting a promo on me, getting me amped. Thanks, man. Actually, Piper has my favorite quote. Um, when he passed away, I shared a Piper quote that was like, "Finally, it was one of the reasons Roddy Piper is one of my favorites." Is one of his quotes was so beautiful to me. He said, um, I'm looking for a place with peace, but until I find it, let's fill it with mayhem. And like that to me says it to me. It's like, I, I want peace. I want tranquility. I want my home, but like I get through life by just ex by looking into the chaos and laughing at it and, and just embracing it. And if the sooner you embrace it, like the strong, at least for me, the sooner I embraced that chaos, the stronger I felt and the more capable I felt to be like, this is who I am. This is the best version of myself. And I'm going to push forward and not let anyone stop me from finding my peace. Love it. Here's my favorite Rowdy Roddy Piper quote. Just when they thought they had all the answers, I changed the questions. But that's one of the really famous ones. Ah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. No, Piper's the best. All right. Since you brought it up, real quick, let's go top fives. Let's go top five wrestlers all time. All right. So, like, my top five wrestlers just to watch are, like, the top five wrestlers that, like, influenced me and made me kind of decide how I'm going to be who I am. You'll do your top five all time to watch, then I'll do my top five all time to watch and then you'll do top five who influenced you and then i'm not qualified to answer that so it'll end there okay well then i would say to be fair because i want to i want i care about this i want to hear your top five comedians that or writers that influenced your performance or your writing style deal okay deal 
So we start with top five wrestlers to watch, then top five influences on our artistic crafts. Because wrestling is an art. Big time. It is an art. All right. Uh, To watch, for me, it's definitely Bret Hart, uh, CM Punk. This is no specific order. I'm just going to pick five. Uh, Bret Hart, CM Punk. Um... Uh, you know who's a you know what it's funny. I'm gonna put her on this list because I've recently been enjoying her matches so much because I'm she's so good. Her form is so amazing uh, and her presence is beautiful. Io Shirai, mm-hmm. I've become a huge Io Shirai fan, so I love watching Io Shirai matches. So Brett, Sam Punk, Io Shirai. Um, well, so I just Eddie Guerrero. How can you not watch an Eddie Guerrero match and not just have a smile on your face? The man was so damn good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then let's see. I'm going to say Samoa Joe. Samoa, Samoa Joe. Joe. Anytime, anywhere. Puts on a fucking clinic. It has like a, a specific kind of ring psychology that is just amazing to watch. And I just love to see how he picks apart his opponents specifically love it Samoa Joe is definitely one of my favorite modern guys um like you said he's got this presence he's one of the only wrestlers right now where I feel like he over and over again convincingly makes you feel like his goal is to kill his opponent in an art form that we all know is predetermined he really makes you think oh this other guy might get hurt because Joe's pissed off now and he can that's very skillful when he told Brock Lesnar, you look at me when I talk to you, boy, I got shivers down my spine. Who says that to Brock Lesnar, man? The beast incarnate. So fucking Joe, that's who. All right, here's my top five. And it's very clear I'm 10 years older than you. Our lists are hilariously defined by the 10-year gap. So mine, <laughs> number one, Ric Flair. Greatest of all time. Heel, face, promos, in-ring, inflaming crowds, Ric Flair, all day. Um, and then, like you said, uh, the, the top five shift beyond that. I give Flair that respect. My other, you'll quickly see, by and large, what I liked are the, the heels that made you uncomfortable. Jake the Snake Roberts, up there. I, I would say, almost of his generation, what I just described about Samoa Joe now and that Jake the Snake Roberts, you know, wrestling was getting more and more cartoonish in his era and he never really did. And he'd be one of these guys, his promos would make you think he was going to kill his opponents. And sometimes it was so funny because his opponents were like literal cartoon characters and you'd be scared for them. He'd be sitting there and he'd be like, you know, I was, I was done. I was ready to walk away from this life. I was ready to go deal with my demons, but instead you've gone ahead and you've woken them up. And I don't know why you would do that. I don't know why you would poke a dragon that I'm scared lives inside me. I'm scared of what you just woke up. So you have no idea what you need to be scared of. Papa Shango. And Papa Shango is like supposed to be an actual (laughs) voodoo priest. You're like, how did he just convince me to be scared for Papa Shango? The 80s wrestling and the early 90s wrestling, so ridiculous. Hilariously weird with how cartoonish it got. Shout out to Jake the Snake. Be right back.
Okay, everybody, buckle up. We're going to cover a lot more ground. Let's finish it off. How did he just convince me to be scared for Papa Shango? Okay, so Ric Flair, Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, we're going to go... I just made my list of top 25 for my buddy Mike Campbell. Who else is in there? The Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, Roddy Piper, the aforementioned Roddy Piper. Um, and then here's here's an outlier because you can see I like the the I like the badass heels who are cocky. So we're, Mr. Perfect is in the mix here, but I'm going to go ahead and say my outlier, the Great Muda. The Great Muda is amazing and always oh, has been. Not an outlier at all, sir. Muda's a fucking boss. Muda, but my list, you, you don't ever, expect Muda. You expect it to be down the line of these sort of like cocky heels from the 80s and 90s. Muda is the best. He's For anybody listening, he showed up in WCW. There used to be a thing where sometimes the Japanese leagues, they, they'd have these working relationships with the American leagues, and they'd send wrestlers back and forth to kind of get them seasoned. So an American wrestler might go to Japan to get good before they came back to America and got the spotlight on them. Vice versa. Muda came to America. He was in WCW instantly. I loved him. He wore face paint. He blows mist on people to blind them. And then he was already so good in WCW. And then he went back to Japan and became like legendary, like absolutely legendary. Yeah. No, his, um, Muda, have you ever watched his, um, there's two, I, I don't know how, depth you are with Muda, but there's two matches specifically I always recommend for him, which is, A, have you ever seen his match with Hulk Hogan? Best match Hogan ever had. It it allowed Hogan to show off his yeah. wrestling skills, not just his persona. It was great. It's yeah. a great, great match. I wouldn't say it was allowed. I wouldn't say, oh, no, it was a great match. I wouldn't say it's allowed as much as it's like Hogan knew that he couldn't, he couldn't go and do the brother-brother big boot leg drop in Japan. They want a fucking match. So he had to be like, all right, I got to pull this shit out of my bag, which is, it was cool. Um, the other one, have you ever seen, I think it's like 1995 when he wrestles Liger and it's the debut of Kishin Thunder Liger. I have not seen that. Okay. So go oh. find this match because it's, it's what I love about wrestling. It's beautiful storytelling. Is this uh, the one where has been like on Liger? Is this the one where Liger pulls his mask off and has Muda face paint under it? Yeah, so I it's, have it's seen the it. idea that like Muda's been on, yeah, Muda's been on fucking Liger's back for months. He's like, you can't hang with me. You're a fucking cartoon character. You're a Saturday morning superhero. I'm the real fucking deal. I'm a fucking devil. Like you don't have what it takes. To, you're not tough enough for me, Liger. And he's beating the shit out of him, and he's ripping his mask off, which no one had ever done to Liger. And he finally gets it off, and then you see this monster, this demon under the paint, and Muda for the first time in his career, you see fear in his eyes. And he's taken aback, and you see this dark side of Liger, and it's like Liger's basically telling him, you know, we didn't have to go here, but you made me go here, so let's fucking do this. And we should mention, when you say Liger's a cartoon character, I believe he was in the tradition of, he was based on an actual anime, if I remember right. And no, I, there was an. It, it went the other way around. That the anime is based other. on him. Now, this mm -hmm. crossover, though, one of my other favorites, who in recent years I've been really, really obsessed with, Tiger Mask. Oh my god! Oh yeah. Have you watched these old Tiger no, Mask matches? All of them. We gotta explain yeah, to I've, people. I've watched like all. 
Tiger okay. Mask. Tiger Mask, Mask basically. Yeah, so, go for it. Explain it. So Tiger Mask is just it, it. What's interesting about Tiger Mask is that it started, I believe, in the seventies. I forget who the original Tiger Mask was, but it's 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 literally like a mantle, like it's something that's been handed down to various Japanese and Gaijin wrestlers over time. Of like, he's the ultimate. Like he was uh, the original Tiger Mask. Like pioneered a lot of what became the cruiserweight style. Satoru Sayama. Uh, his matches with guys like... Yeah, yeah. Uh, it pioneered a lot of like what pro wrestling could be, not just in Japan, but internationally, because a lot of Tiger Mask's best matches were with Gaijin, people like Dynamite Kid, who they were, they were doing shit that you see Ricochet and Cedric Alexander doing now, just top rope offense and bouncing around the ring nonstop, just go, 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 and innovative of just like what you could do with someone. And um, so that's like a tradition that's been passed on is if you get the tiger mask mask, it means that you're a really high class, high level worker. So the expectation is now when you see tiger mask on a card, it's like, oh, that's going to be a belter. That's going to be the one that like tries to steal the show. And Tiger Mask was an anime. There was an actual comic book in Japan about this guy named Tiger Mask. And then he shows up in wrestling. Someone's actually dressed as him. And people are like, what is this? It would be like if one of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was, you're supposed to all of a sudden think he's a real wrestler. And then, but I'm telling you. Yeah. His matches with Dynamite Kid. The one in Japan is great. But there's one I love. It's it's not as good uh, as far as technical goes, but... Madison Square Garden, 1982, you got to realize the New York Territory wrestling style Madison Square Garden was these big guys, punches, stomps, body slam, rest hold, headlock, mm. gr grind it out. And then all of a sudden you can feel the crowd going, who's this idiot with the tiger mask on? And then he's doing flips and handsprings and kicks and you feel the whole crowd you're like, they must have felt like they just took a time machine into the future. It's so cool to watch. Okay. Your top five that have influenced you, your craft. Okay. I'll get that, but real quick, quick recommendation for anyone who wants to watch Tiger Mask match. I highly recommend, I think it's a 1990 New Japan WWE crossover tour they did. So this is when Warrior, Ultimate Warrior was champion. Uh, there is a Bret Hart versus Tiger Mask match that you should watch from like 1990. Now that's not the original Tiger um, Mask. No, I think that's, if it's, I don't think it's Masawa. I think Masawa had already dropped Tiger Mask gimmick at that point, but it's, it's around that time period. All right. Okay. Five that you've modeled your art on. Well, number one, hands down, um, because he was my childhood hero. Um, and someone I respect a lot, not just as a wrestler, but as a human being, um, Mick Foley. Uh, mm -hmm. I cried. I was like, I was like nine years old when he won the championship on television. And I fucking cried when he won it because what I loved about Foley was just, he was never, I was, you know, I was an overweight kid growing up and a lot of people made fun of me and I was a really sensitive kid and, you know, so like, yeah, I like Stone Cold and I like The Rock and I like Degeneration X, but I never felt like I was one of them. Like, I admire you, but I'm not you. But I look at Foley and I'm like, holy fuck, that you, I'm you. And just that tenacity he showed of just like, 
I, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to win this fight because I'm better than you or I'm stronger than you or I'm faster than you. I just, I'm tougher than you and I want it more than you. And, um, I just really admire that. And then specifically his Cactus Jack work because his mankind work is good and his dude love stuff is funny. But like when he was Cactus Jack, specifically like year 2000 Cactus Jack, like where he's like, this is the best version of myself. This is my most violent. This is my most capable. I was like, oh yeah. Oh, I love Cactus Jack. Um, Me too. Cactus Jack. Pre-WWF Cactus Jack was next level. Anyway, okay. Foley, we only have 10 minutes left. This conversation is the fastest conversation I've ever had. So let's get through our fives. All right. I'll I'll, I'll skip the big explanations. Uh, Kevin (laughs) Owens. um, Kevin Owens. Bull Nakano. Another Japanese wrestler. I love her to death. Uh, Favorite. Favorite. One of my just definitely top female wrestler of all time, in my opinion, but uh, just one of my top five wrestlers of all time. Uh, so uh, Foley, Owens, Bull Meccano. Um, I'm going to have to put, um, I'm trying to think of a fifth one. I know one, one I'm going for is Owen Hart. Um, mm-hmm. I'm the youngest of four children and my older brother was like the golden child of the family. So that whole feud with him and Brett, I, related to on a very deep level uh plus owen was just one of the best great in the ring great heel work great funny uh just i just i love owen hart um to the point where like some of the new gear i'm ordering is inspired by his king of ring king of the ring gear like he had the heart with the crown over it and i'm doing like a broken heart with a crown sliding down and they're like there's like a whole idea behind it um that's awesome and uh that's i mean those are really the main uh the main ones um yeah uh owens bull owen uh, owens bull uh owen hart uh foley and then yeah i don't i can't think of a fifth one that really i mean because i I mean obviously when you're a wrestler like you pull stuff from all kinds of people. I've pulled stuff from Jake Roberts. I've pulled stuff from CM Punk. I've pulled stuff from, uh, you know, William Regal or, 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 uh, you know, Eddie Guerrero. Like there's so many people that influence you in little ways. Um, so I don't know if I have a fifth one, like a hard fifth one, but I'm going to go ahead and say, uh, uh, a little bit of dusty roads, a little bit of dusty roads, just cause I'm from Florida. A little, I'm from Florida. And, you know, you know, big boys represent and uh-huh, Dusty the was the, the most woods. charismatic man to ever do this. He's the bull of the woods. Yeah. Most charismatic man to ever do this. Yeah. Um, and just a good guy all around. Um, but from what I've heard, like I never got to meet him, unfortunately. That was something that really hurt my, like really hurt um, that I never got to meet him. But um, yeah, like I've never met anybody who had a bad thing to say about Dusty Rhodes. Aside from like a couple of disgruntled wrestlers who thought they deserved a better push. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay my top five influencers uh number one andy kaufman I've, I've always tried to do things that um evoke feelings that you don't expect and so much of that is because of andy kaufman's comedy um also clearly a bridge between comedy and wrestling for me as a youth uh david letterman 
definitely someone who uh innovator shook things up anti-establishment yet managed to worm his way into the establishment and be a disruptor from the inside i know this one's divisive Mm -hmm. howard stern um but growing up in the northeast howard stern was inescapable and I would say that there's a very, very, very large percentage of stuff about Howard Stern that I didn't like even when I was a kid, that I thought it was too much. But I think that the stuff that is good is brilliant. And the way he reshapes his whole medium around him instead of kowtowing to it, very inspiring. Conan O'Brien, I felt like for, for people a little older than me, Letterman was like their guy, whereas he always felt to me like, like, Man, the older kids really love him, and I get why, and I love him too. And the top ten list is a is like a bible to me. But Conan O'Brien was my guy. Conan O'Brien for me was high school, college, absurdity, self deprecation, um, throwing bits against the wall to see what would stick. I think if you see a lot of my work over the years, you uh, you see those four influences really show up as far as some of the more. Um, you know, experimental performance art based stuff like the Chris Gethard show, even I think the improviser side of me, as far as chaos, like you said, I'm a big fan of chaos as well. Uh, I loved Eddie Murphy specials growing up, but I cannot stand by them now. There's some truly awful things said in them. Very, very dated as far as social aspects. I almost feel like there's a, a weird thing that in your world of wrestling, it's Chris Benoit as far as people saying like he's so good and you watch his matches, but he did the most horrid stuff. You can't put him on your list. For my world, that's Bill Cosby of just the story, his storytelling ability. When I was a kid, obsessed with it. Obviously can't put him on the list now. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess the number five slot, there's a lot of people. There's just so many people in there that I love. So many people in there that I love. Uh, Robin Williams when I was a kid. Uh, yeah. A lot of people. A lot of people. I'll even say my 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 buddy Joe Firestone, who is a comedian who started after me, might be in my top five all time because she does the most interesting stuff. And she's f- very funny and gives you stuff you never expect. And I highly recommend her to anybody. Awesome. Now, uh, if we have time, I do have a question. I was going to say, oh, go ahead. Go for it. We got. I was going to say, we got four minutes left. It is yours to do with what you will. Uh, I guess I would say a uh, quick question. Um, when you would, now, when you did the Cult Cabana episode, because truth be told, that's, uh, I've been, I've been a big fan of your work, Chris, for a while now, but I discovered you through Cult Cabana. Mm-hmm. Cult, uh, one of my great friends. Because you offhandedly mentioned... Yeah, he offhandedly mentioned being on your show in on like a podcast and I was like, Chris Gethard show, what's that? And then I went and I found the episode and I loved it. I appreciated as a professional wrestler, I appreciated that you actually shot a good pro wrestling match. Like you didn't nothing crazy had and it wasn't like, you know, a five star Tokyo Dome match, but you respected the craft and gave it time and let the guys do their thing. Um and I always joke as a belt, as somebody who's obsessed with championships, I appreciated when you introduced everybody, you like notated every championship they've ever won. Uh-huh. I was like, fuck yeah. Uh-huh. Fuck yeah. Guy did his homework. Um, that being said, was that your 
did you feel like that was your Andy Kaufman moment? Like, I'm going to flex my my TV power here to have a wrestling match? 100% yes. <laughs> you and I are clearly on the same wavelength <laughs> in so many ways. You see the writing on the wall. There, for anybody who hasn't seen it, there was an episode of the Chris Gethard show where it was me, uh, Colt Cabana, X-Pac, and Rhino versus uh, my friend Vacation Jason, comedy character, John Hamm, and then a guy dressed as a coconut and a guy dressed as a pineapple. Now, those two guys were Pat Buck and Kurt Hawkins. So everybody in there at some point has passed through the WWE except me and Riley and John Hamm. So huge respect. The idea had been pitched in the writer's room to call it Gethalmania, a wrestling event ar around me. And I'll tell you what, so I backed out of it. I was like, I don't think we can pull it off with the respect it deserves. And then one of my writers, Greg Doris, sat me down. And just like you said, he goes, dude, you have a TV show and you have a budget. And this is the only chance you get to live this dream. Let's do it. And he convinced me. And it was eye-opening. And I still feel so proud of it. I We did the dumpster episode the week before, which became kind of the infamous cult classic of the Chris Gethard show. I always felt like because it was right after the dumpster, it got outshined a little bit. I think it, I think it deserves a lot of attention. And um, as far as cult comment, I mean, none of my stuff got a lot of attention, but in the, in the pantheon of that world. And yeah, I'll never forget so many cool things about that. Seeing, seeing how the wrestlers didn't plan anything. And when we asked them to walk through some stuff with us, you could tell it actually maybe ruffled their feathers because they're pros, but they were working with me and Riley and John Hamm. They had to. It was so cool. My favorite moment though, which I think you'll appreciate, was X-Pac. At one point, I go up to him, and I'm just trying to be very respectful. I go, look, I'm probably going to mess things up along the way. I apologize if I do. I'm going to work my hardest. And he goes, no, there's no messing up in wrestling. He goes, whatever happens, happens. And that's what was supposed to happen. And you make sure that you build off that to the next thing that happens. As long as you own it, then you can never make mistakes. Because anything that looks like a mistake can be turned into an asset. And I thought that was so beautiful to say. And as soon as he said it, I was like, that's how comedy works too. That's how comedy works too. Something unexpected happens. Don't ignore it. Incorporate it. Somebody heckles you that night or the mic goes out or things fall apart. It's a gift. And I saw the similarity between those two worlds. Oh, it's, it's the similarities are vast. It, and but that's that's I'm, I'm glad he said that to you because that's really just that's how you make it that's how you create that immersion that's how you create that reality is that you treat it like reality where yeah you've got plans you know what you want to do it may not happen though and just roll with it and you know what like and like make yeah I'm we're out of time but I'm gonna say this everything you just said you make plans but then you roll with it that applies to your wrestling it applies to your romantic life as well. Keep rolling with it. Keep rolling with it, my friend. Our time is up. I will. All right, man. Thank that you so much. Delightful. That was a joy. Thank you for the combo. No problem. No problem. Anytime. Caller, I got to say thank you. It, it, Especially right now in these times where I don't, you don't get to see people. You don't get to go to shows. You don't get to be around people who share your interests by being actually in the places where those interests unfold. You really reminded me why I love 
some of the things I love, wrestling and music and, and all that stuff. So thank you. What a great conversation. Thank you to Anita Flores. Thank you to Jared O'Connell. Thank you to Shell Shag for the music. If you want to see me every Wednesday night taking more phone calls with a bunch of comedians, planetscum.live for that info. If you like the show, go to Apple Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe. And if you want the entire beautiful anonymous back catalog, Stitcher Premium is where it's at. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash stories for more details. Yeah.